Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Elephant in the Room podcast, the podcast of the Georgetown University College Republicans. I'm your host, Ian Cruz, and today we'll be continuing our coverage of the 2022 midterm elections. This episode, we'll be taking you out west to the great states of Arizona and Nevada. Both states, you could argue, are going in opposite directions politically. Arizona, previously a stronghold of the Republican Party, has become increasingly purple. Likewise, Nevada has typically been a stronghold for the Democratic Party, but is now becoming more Republican in the process. Joining me for this episode is a native Arizonian and a native Nevadan. So please welcome my first guest, Nick, to the podcast. Hello. It's very nice to talk with you today. It, just give our, our listeners a little introduction of who you are, your Georgetown intro, and then we'll get started. Sure thing. So I'm a senior in the college, uh, studying political economy, minoring in statistics and philosophy. Um, like you said, I'm a native uh, Arizonan, uh, very much uh, Arizona bred. I was born there in Phoenix. Uh, my family moved to a city called Surprise uh, in Maricopa County in, when I was about three, and I lived there my entire life. My family still lives in the same house. Um, I had actually never been east of Arizona before coming to Georgetown. So, you know, very much a creature of the desert out there. Um, I'm very proud to call it my home state. Yeah, I haven't been uh, actually, ironically, my most western point, I think, is Austin, Texas that I've ever been to. But I want to head out there because my cousin lives in Scottsdale. So shout out to Alexis and Josh. Um, and yeah, let's let's get cracking. So the Arizona Republican primary saw a sweep of Trump-endorsed candidates. Uh, a lot of people claim it was the America first victory in Arizona. Uh, and that's contrary to a lot of the impressions that D.C. Uh, elector, election nerds and election analysts thought of Arizona as the bedrock of the McCain Republican. Uh, what do you think that this says about the Arizona GOP and the direction that uh, Kelly Ward, who's the chairwoman of the, G the Arizona GOP, is taking the state party? Sure thing. So I think this upcoming election cycle is really um, the make or break point for sort of uh, the Trump wing of the Republican Party uh, in Arizona. I, I think, like you said, it, I think Arizona very much is still the McCain state uh, with regards to the Republican electorate there. Um, but I think they are going through a bit of an identity crisis right now. Um, the biggest evidence for that is how close uh, the recent primary elections were, particularly the gubernatorial primary. Um, you saw, uh, you know, the current nominee, Carrie Lake, and her primary opponent, uh, Karen Taylor Robson, uh, really go you know, throat to throat. It was <laughs> pretty brutal. There was some of the, I, I think in my lifetime, at least some of the, uh, you know, harshest primary election uh, campaign that I have ever seen. Um, and, you know, obviously the margin was very close. It was within five points. Um, and I think there, you know, that really represented the the clashing of the two different blocks there, the, the Trump-esque block and the sort of um, you know, the longstanding McCain establishment type block in Arizona. And, you know, I, I think it's uh, undeniable at this point that Trump has large influence in the Republican Party, really regardless of what state you're looking at, even in uh, a state like Arizona that, um, you know, obviously didn't even uh, vote for him in the 2020 election. Um, he still has such a, a dedicated base there that, you know, if he gives an endorsement, if a candidate sort of appeals to his uh, policy or his brand, I suppose, um, they're, they're going to find, you know, great electoral success. And so um, I, I to, to answer the question, I think the, the sweep of Trump candidates um, 
isn't really surprising. I, I would say I think because Trump still has such a large sway, but I think whether or not that's going to be effective in the general, it would, um, you know, only time will tell. Yeah, I would, I would uh, counter that by also highlighting, I think, the weak Democrat nominees that are on the table. So maybe it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, whether the, you know, the more passive Democrats, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into Katie Hobbs and what she, how she's running her campaign, uh, the Democrat nominee for governor, and how the rest of the ticket is, uh, is shaping up on the, on the other side of the aisle. Sure but, thing. I, I don't think mm. that it's impossible for them to win or thing. No, it's not. I think they actually have, uh, the Republicans have a great chance this year. It's just mm. it's obviously, you, you know, compared to how easy it was for Republicans to win in the state beforehand. Um, it's it's definitely not the same as it, it was. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to fight for every vote. And so if Kerry Lake, Blake Masters, Abe Hamaday, Mark Fincham, if you're ever listening to this, uh, be sure to keep going across the state, winning every vote that you can, because. If if there's, I think, a Republican sweep in November in Arizona, I think you're going to see that culture really change. Similar to what Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis has done in Florida, and I've brought this up in, in several other episodes, is that gubernatorial elections are increasingly becoming more and more important, I think, especially on the Republican side, and who we have as governor. Because if you get somebody like DeSantis who's willing to use you know, his office to push forward a more conservative agenda, something that other Republican governors in the past have been maybe more reluctant to do, uh, especially on social issues, economic issues. I wouldn't say that's the case. I think that that's an issue that Republicans always fall back on and say, we're, we're, we're the fiscal party of fiscal responsibility. We'll always get approval for that. And there is data to suggest that the economy Republicans tend to always win uh, the, the, the economic voters, per se. So we'll see if I think uh, Carrie Lake will do that. I know she's made immigration a huge part of her campaign and declaring a state of invasion uh, and using Article 10 uh, of the Constitution to do so. And I think that that would be something very uh, interesting to see how it play out going state government versus Biden and the federal government. But let's turn it back to Arizona and the people of Arizona. What are your thoughts and your impressions of the Republican candidates that are being fielded this year and about people on the ground? Like, what is your family saying about them? Is there excitement uh, in particular about Carrie Lake, about Blake Masters, about those uh, big names that would then be representing Arizona? Sure thing. So I think you're you're right on the money with the importance of the gubernatorial elections and sort of uh, changing the sentiment around the parties within a state. I think, you know, Ron DeSantis is sort of the exemplary case of that. Um, Florida was you know, very much probably one of the biggest swing states in uh, the 2012, 2016 elections. And at this point, whenever you're talking about, you know, red states, you know, Florida is right there with Texas in basically every conversation you hear. And so um, and I think that the primary factor in that is Ron DeSantis's governance. Um, his, you know, whatever you think about him, it, no one would say that he shies away from using his executive power to sort of push Absolutely. through policies. And so, um, you know, and I think a lot of the excitement around Kerry Lake um, from sort of the Trump wing of the Republican Party in Arizona is exactly that. I think um, I think the biggest thing that that voting bloc looks for in a candidate is not necessarily a, a detailed policy agenda, but rather um, sort of the the character of the person or maybe character is the wrong word. It's their 
um, showing their instincts, like their exactly it's their, their their warrior mentality. Mentality, like Carrie Lake, isn't going to back down from precisely. a fight with like the media. I mean, she was a journalist for many years, so she I think knows that realm. But she's not going to back down. Like she won't listen to what Joe Biden wants her to do. She won't play nice. She'll she she'll stand up for her convictions. And I know that that's a lot of Republicans have felt that Republican governors have not been doing that previously and so having like a desantis was a, such a novel phenomenon within the rga and, the, and republican governors as a whole and to see how he can transform a state i think a lot of candidates like carrie lake like um doug marshall in pennsylvania we talked about that in, the, in our pennsylvania episode are really trying to out desantis desantis if that makes sense of going further than desantis and saying well he had to deal with more you could say rhinos in the state legislature we'll see if uh that will be a problem if Carrie Lake is elected, but he's had to, you know, tone down a little bit of his rhetoric on certain issues in order to fit some wider agenda. Like I know he wanted to pass a big uh, sweeping big tech bill that would crack down on big tech companies and fine them if they censored conservatives uh, or any anybody running for office, a Democrat or Republican. And I know that got really watered down in the state legislature. So we'll see if that holds up. In other states where somebody like Carrie Lake, somebody like Doug Marstrano, somebody like Ron DeSantis is elected. But, um, of course, that only time will tell and Carrie Lake should be focused on winning in November uh, right now. But what, what do people feel on the ground? Like not like uh, in Maricopa County, everybody says that's the county that will decide the election. Uh, will it is Maricopa County sort of warming up to Carrie Lake? I mean, she did win, I guess, the plurality of the vote in Maricopa County. That was the one county she was losing on a election night until the election day votes were counted is that the state that's still resisting her a little bit and giving her maybe a thorn in her side or is it are all the republicans in maricopa county saying you know what we got to unite we got to beat katie hobbs in november sure thing i think you are seeing republicans sort of coalesce around like i mean even as brutal as the the primary election was um i i think uh, you, you will see a vast majority of republicans on the ground in arizona uh, show up for Lake. Um, I, I Maricopa County in particular is a bit of an enigma, <laughs> just because it's such a large county. You see so many sort of diverse areas in there. Um, I think w- the Democrats' um, sort of stronghold in recent elections has been just the area around the city of Phoenix, um, particularly turning out a high proportion of um, the Latino vote and some of the other demographics in that area. And so, you, you know, I I think Lake certainly is capable of capitalizing on some of the more suburban votes in that area um, that uh, figures like Trump or McSally lost in previous elections. Um, and I think it is um, her strong suit is, like you said, her persona, her showing her willingness to uh, sort of fight back. I think that is sort of the key to getting Republican turnout at this point. Um, and again, I, I, I think we'll have to see whether or not um, the or the Trump-esque policies are going to continue to have um, so the, the negative effect that people have been perceiving um, in recent elections in the, for the Arizona electorate. I, I don't know. It, it, it's such a – Arizona is such a weird state right now. <laughs> I, I mean – It I, is in limbo. I would say Arizona is very much in limbo right now. And I, and I think if whoever wins this 
gubernatorial race. That's why I highlight the importance of the gubernatorial elections will, I think, determine the future of the state politically. I really do. I think if, um, you know, I, 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 you know, Doug Ducey has a hard time because Katie Hobbs is secretary of state. Right. So he's got a Democrat statewide elected official to have to deal with um, when trying to push forward certain bills and, and how to navigate certain issues, particularly elections. But what impact do you think of Katie Hobbs? You could say, maybe this is a Republican talking point, but running away from her her policies and running away from Carrie Lake uh, will impact how the electorate perceives the two candidates and how, how could this affect the election? To be honest, I think it's quite smart. I mean, like you touched on earlier, Carrie Lake is long history in TV. She's, if you watched any of her debates with uh, Robeson during the primary, um, you know, putting the actual substance of her policy aside, she was obviously very collected in her debate. She knows how to, you know, speak to it. She never lost her temper. Exactly. She's very very strong, vocal, to the point. And I know her and Taylor Robeson used to always say, fake Lake, fake Lake, as she was speaking. I thought that was hilarious. Right. And I, you know, if you're, uh, you know, a Democratic candidate, frankly, whoever you are in this state, and you, you see the way the tide's been turning in recent years, I think your best bet is to kind of perhaps sit back and just eat some popcorn and let you hope that the Republican party <laughs> don't coalesce around, uh, you know, a Trump-esque candidate. I, I, I think when you, and especially in this case, when you have a, a candidate like Lake, um, who, who could potentially be very strong in a debate, I, I wouldn't risk it. You know, I, I think it's actually quite smart of Hobbs campaign to do what they're doing right now. Um, it, it, it's just too much of a wild card. I, I think you really want to bank on just, hoping that the trends keep moving in the way mm. they seem to be moving. But would so then would you say that uh Hobbs being spared? I mean, it's not a given that she'd lose the debate, but I think more than likely she would. Uh do you think that that is a bigger hit to the campaign than constant Carrie Lake ads on whenever news stations just bombasting Hobbs saying she's running away from her agenda, she doesn't want to debate. I even said and and I you know, I follow Carrie Lake on, on on Instagram and she had this reel where she was like, Katie, I will debate you anywhere, anytime, any place. You can pick the questions. I don't care. Let's just have a debate. And I think that that I think Carrie Lake knew that Katie Hobbs wasn't going to call that call her out for that and, and, and actually accept that. So she was willing to to put it, the ball firmly in Hobbs's court saying, look, you had this whole power, this whole leverage to shape the debate, to rig it as much as you want in your favor. And she still said no. So I think that that, you know, I think will help Lake in the sense of, in her advertising saying, I gave Hobbs such an opportunity to destroy me in the debates and she's still back down. Do you think that that will still have the same impact as, as a debate loss would be for Hobbs? Sure thing. Um, you know, obviously, it's, you know, you don't want to have messaging like that out there. You don't want to look like you're shying away from the debate. But when you're weighing that against, um, you know, actually being right next to this candidate who, you know, will obviously not be afraid to, you know, say say basically anything. <laughs> She's, yeah, guns blazing. You know, I, 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 I kind of understand the decision. And, you know, I, I think... Perhaps the objective in this election is to make the election more of a referendum on uh, the Republican Party, a, a, or at least the Trump wing in Arizona. You know, I, I think the the more you put the spotlight on, you know, hey, this is the 
the brand of Republican Party that did not the win extreme, the extreme. You know, exactly. I think MAGA, that, like dark. What was the quote by Dark used? MAGA. Not not just dark MAGA, but he said these semi-fascist type. When he gave that ominous speech in Philadelphia, I think that that it's. I think that's been the messaging of Democrats. Like we'll see how that would impact our our, our Democratic Republic, but. I think that it is dangerous messaging. I think Republicans and Democrats alike are are, are guilty in, in different aspects. I don't think that they should be vilifying their opponents. But I think in Arizona, I think Democrats are a little bit more responsible than Republicans for that. But that's just my that's my take of going after Carrie Lake and Blake Masters. I know is another one. And Mark Kelly, I'm talking about Mark Kelly, um, he's saying that he's the independent. He's like Kirsten Cinema. And even, you know, as somebody who's who's more conservative myself, like I can I respect Kirsten Cinema. Like she's I this might be a controversial take within the Republican Party, but I like her more than Joe Manchin. Because Kirsten Cinema, I mean, she she's a much more purple state than Joe Manchin in West Virginia. But Joe Manchin still votes with Schumer and the Democrats ninety plus percent of the time. And cinema's is is less willing to back down on like the filibuster, for example, less willing to back down on certain things. Sure do I think that she's, you know, uh where I would agree with our progressive uh colleagues or progressive counterparts is that I think she is bought out by special interests and in, in big companies, big business, which isn't my necessarily big uh attraction for a politician and, and attraction for support, but she is standing up for what she believes in. And the same way that Democrats give, uh, like, canonize almost, like Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger, you know, Republicans, I don't think have canonized Kirsten Cinema by any stretch of the imagination, but they're like, okay, I think Tulsi Gabbard fits that bill better. But Kirsten Cinema is certainly there of like, yeah, you know, she's a reasonable Democrat that we can work with. And I think certainly in a GOP majority Senate, I mean, she voted with uh, Trump a decent amount of time. She was way to the right of the average of her party and from 2018 to 2020, or rather 2019 to 2021. But she's not up for re-election this year. That's that's Mark Kelly. So let's hone in on Mark Kelly. Is he losing his reputation of that moderate, independent Democrat? Now, that's a lot of messaging that Blake Masters is doing. He's saying, look, he voted 90 plus percent of the time with Schumer, 90 plus percent of the time with Bernie Sanders, 90 plus percent of the time with all these like Elizabeth Warren, all these progressives saying, you know, he was not a vote in question with the inflation, so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, spend more money. That's going to solve inflation. But... And Mark Kelly's vote was never in doubt. It was like he was going to be a rubber stamp for the Democrat agenda. And I think that's a great point that Blake Masters is making is saying he promised he would be, you know, a reasonable guy, reasonable Democrat. He wouldn't, you know, be like Elizabeth Warren. He wouldn't be like a Bernie Sanders. But his voting record suggests otherwise. Is that impactful? Is that catching on with with the, the people of Arizona? I actually don't think so. I don't know what it is about Mark Kelly, but for the astronaut, hey, no, exactly. The dude's <laughs> an astronaut. It's hard to <laughs> attack someone like that. It, it, it's just for whatever it is. And like you, you touched on, he has a the vast majority of his voting has been in line with uh, President Biden's agenda. Um, that's really not in contention. But it's just something about him is just it's really hard to stick him with mm-hmm. sort of the you know. Uh, progressive or extremist label that some people might want to if they're campaigning against him. Um, I, I think you could attribute to a few things. Um, I I think probably the biggest is just that he is 
such so new to the political scene. I think you know he's only been in there for two years at this point. Um, he's whenever you think of Democratic leadership in the Senate or sort of thought leaders in the party, Mark Kelly's really not anywhere near the top of that list. Um, and so whenever you're trying to sort of you know, if you're trying to brand someone, blaming them for certain policies that have been implemented, um, it, it's one thing to maybe try to stick someone like, you know, Senator Sanders with, you know, sort of a progressive agenda just because he's so vocal about it. And he's mm-hmm. been actively. He, pro- he openly like embraces a democratic socialist label. Well, exactly. And yeah. he's it's very clear to see that he's actively been a thought leader in the party mm-hmm. and yeah. mobilized certain. Very influential. Senators. has a strong base. Right. Um, but when you compare that to someone, say, like a rubber stamp or something, that's just voting with it and isn't nearly as vocal, um, at least on the national level. I think that's it's it's a lot harder to do to mm-hmm. to sort of brand him in that way. And I know that um, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker was just in Arizona to campaign with Mark Kelly. Right. And I, I thought that was a very interesting move by Mark Kelly. I don't know whether that was to turn out the progressive base, but I'm, Cory Booker has been one of those vocal senators and because I used to, New Jersey used to be my home state. So I used to have to deal with Cory Booker as my senator and for, well, uh, but not anymore. But Cory Booker, I know is very, you know, tough about it. I mean, he seems like a nice guy. I think Cory Booker is a nice guy you'd want to get like a drink with. Uh, but of course his politics, I think are, are not, uh, not ideal for this country. But having him, I think, right next to Mark Kelly, doesn't that send a message of I'm willing to stand with my more progressive colleagues and saying I'm not willing to like I'm not going to campaign with Cinema like she's my she's my you know fellow Arizona senator like he's he's done more events with more you could say liberal or more progressive senators than than uh, I think you would expect in in such a swing state like Arizona. Sure, I get what you're saying. Um... I'm not totally sure what the thought behind that is, because like you said, I don't know that that necessarily appeals to the moderate wing of the party. Um, it it very well could be just trying to rally support from the progressive wing. You know, um, I think some of uh, Biden's recent actions have been specifically trying to appeal to younger voters. I think the obvious one is the student loan. Whether or not that's going to be effective, I don't know. But, um, you know, I saw there were polls earlier this summer and perhaps near the beginning of the year that were showing that um, Biden was largely uh, dipping in popularity with um, sort of moderate young voters, um, a lot less enthusiasm from sort of college age voters. And so, you, you know, perhaps uh, Kelly's just trying to sort of rally turnout by doing that sort of thing. Um, but again, I just don't think he really risks coming off as um sort of a, a further left pro- progressive um as <laughs> he doesn't look he doesn't look like the guy who would be some radical type guy but yeah like how is Blake Master seen is he seen as uh in a similar way to Lake is he seen as different to Lake how are they seen relative to each other and are they seen as you know you know people who are going to vote republican down ballot they still they like them equally or is there one that that people sort of lean more towards than the other. Sure thing. So um, one thing I want to note real quick, uh, you had mentioned that he got, uh, he had a higher margin in the primary. Uh, That's true. But if I remember correctly, the share of the vote was less. Like he got like 38%. Right. And I, I think I recall on election night, you know, there was 
it was very surprising that how close it was in the gubernatorial race, but the Senate race was, uh, it was very clear that Masters was going to win very early on. And if you looked at the actual raw vote counts, um, they were actually between Lake and Masters, they were almost identical. And so I think the reason Masters has that higher margin is just because he had more uh, viable oppositions. He had both Brnovich and uh, Jim Lehman against him. And so they sort of split the opposition vote. So I, I don't know that there's really more excitement around Blake rather. I mean, the polls suggest Lake has the edge. Like she's, she's up in the polls. Like I know that um, Trafalgar group, which is a, a, I like, they, they tend to pull well in swing states. They have Lake up by a couple points and they have masters down by two points in their latest poll. So I think, I think that there will be, I think that, that goes to I have a, my theory of Republicans tend to be trusted for state government, Democrats more so for federal government, like to have that balance. And so like having a Republican as your governor and then a Democrat in the White House, I think tends to be maybe what voters would prefer. <laughs> but the 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 key X factor I see, especially with the GOP, and this is why I think Lake and Masters, especially Lake, but Masters too, is is the shift of the Latino vote in not just Arizona, but all across, uh, especially the Sun Belt. So that's Nevada. We'll get into them when we talk about Nevada, but the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, um, and even parts of Pennsylvania. So you're seeing a huge shift among Hispanic voters towards Republicans. Do you see that happening in Arizona towards Cary Lake, or do you think that that's like a unique Trump thing? It's it's hard to say, uh, mainly because um, that voting block sort of what gets grouped together as being either Latino or the Hispanic. They are very, it's, it is a very, it's much more diverse. It's much more diverse than that label suggests. Obviously um, the Cuban voters in Florida vote very differently from, you know, like Mexican Americans in, in like Tucson. You're really just any other group that you could point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's really hard to say. Um, I I think sort, I, I think in Arizona, the Arizona Democratic party has a much, firmer grasp on that demographic than perhaps the the democrats nationally do mm. um you know i i think I, I think you are right to point out that democrats nationally have been sort of losing their touch fumbling with that that, that, vote, with that yeah. group and you see that reflected in the polls um i you may see that in arizona but i don't think that um that shift will be the key for mm. sort of republican victory i i think it's more like maricopa county suburbs like i that. i think i think you were exactly right earlier when you said maricopa is kind of the deciding factor mm-hmm. I, and i really think that is I, biden was i believe the first democrat since like truman or something to win maricopa County at the presidential level or, yeah correct and and they know cinema won it and, and of course mark kelly won it right and so i i mean that really is uh you know the battleground area mm-hmm. that that is where um you know victories will be made and mm-hmm. so um, i mean it's such a big county right right um i i think the the other counties in the state where you see a more heavier latino population and things like that um pima pro- county proportionally right? speaking, exactly yes i think those are pretty much set in stone so i don't know that i think tucson is a much harder nut to crack for republicans for oh sure, sure. It's, it's gonna be like the phoenix area latinos i think that shifted towards the republicans on the new york times detailed map of the precincts i think you saw a lot of dark red in like south phoenix and you didn't see that same movement in tucson it was much more mixed um but well i mean we'll see how how our how the candidates uh fare i know that right now 
not to you know hype up Masters too much as well, but I mean he deserves he deserves all the support he can get. But he I think he's doing better now in the polls than Martha McSally did against Mark Kelly in 2020. So I think that that does show that it'll be closer. I think Mark Kelly won that race by what two points? It was two point four. Yes. Yeah, which funnily enough is the same margin McSally lost against Cinema. She lost <laughs> two point four both times. Yeah, and and I think uh, not to you know hate on Martha McSally, but I think that she was a, she's objectively a worse candidate than um, Blake Masters, in my opinion. I don't think that you like. There is a fan base for I know that there's a fan base for Blake Masters among a certain segment of the right that you just did not see with. Uh, Martha McSally. I, I think Masters capitalizes on the the Trump voting bloc much more. I mm. mean, people, the, that uh, part of the electorate is much more excited about Masters than they ever were about McSally. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think McSally, I, I mean, her race was in 2018, which was largely a blue wave blue year. Blue wave year. And, and Sinema was a good candidate. And, so, And then in 2020 as well, which, um, you know, is much harder to analyze, but you obviously had Trump on the top of the ballot who lost that election in Arizona. And mm-hmm. so um, to what extent uh, did that impact? Trump, right. Because, I mean, she ran to the she, – her, she did worse than Trump in Arizona. Uh, correct. So I don't know whether that's because of Mark Kelly's strength, like as we were talking about, He's an or, astronaut. or Trump's or Trump's weakness. So I think this will also put that to the test. But one last question before uh, we let you go is that who would you run on the Republican side to challenge Senator Kirsten Sinema in 2024? And I'll, and I'll throw in another twist. Could Congressman Ruben Gallego, so the very progressive, primary her? Um, so I'll take the second one first. Could Gallego primary cinema? Um, I, I, could he perhaps, you you know, I, I, I think it largely depends on whether or not, um, the, the DNC throws their backing behind cinema, because I think Mm -hmm. if they do, uh, she'll win. If they back then come in, I I think she'll stay, Mm -hmm. uh, keep her seat. And I think that will mostly come down to, what the actual composition of the Senate looks like going into 24. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I much of the frustration, I think, from the Democratic Party, or at least the progressive like, wings, you know, is just because she is a swing vote in this 50-50 The maverick, Senate. you know. She, right. I would say she's much more of a, a legitimate McCain successor than Mark Kelly, for sure. Sure thing. And so, in you know, if in 24, the composition of the Senate is... You know, if it's still 50 50, is it 49 51? And that one vote really matters in getting your agenda through. You, you, maybe you do see a strong, uh, you, you know, uh, primary opponent uh, mm-hmm. like Gaig or something like that. And I think he, if um, he Cinema, certainly has a base for it. Right. I think if Cinema doesn't have the backing of the DNC, um, or at least a very strong backing from the DNC, I think she would be vulnerable. Um, but if, you know, if this, yeah, know, the, the Arizona GOP should be licking their chops if Cinema gets primary for Gallego. I, I think you're exactly right. And so I think, you know, if Democrats perform well in this go around, mm-hmm. if things are looking like it, even if it's a 51, 49 Republican right. majority, I would say Democrats will probably be like, yeah, we can spare to lose cinema. Mm-hmm. Republicans will gain more seats in their majority, but it won't be a filibuster. And like proof. you said, just depending on what the national environment looks like mm-hmm. two years from now, I think that will largely inform the decision on whether or not, mm-hmm. you know, cinema gets a, a strong primary opposition. Mm-hmm. And then to the other question, um, I believe you asked who would be what Republican, could, what Republican candidate. I think, you know, purely from an electoral standpoint, standpoint, I thought Ducey would have been probably their best pick um, for even in this cycle right mm-hmm. now. Obviously, he didn't want to run um, just because 
you know, he's been governor, governor for eight, yeah. eight, eight years now. I mean, taking a break from politics is <laughs> surely a desirable choice. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Ducey is, uh, you know, I think some of the Trump wing of the party is not as happy with him as they would be with someone like Lake. Mm-hmm. But I think he still is. I would certainly fit that bill. <laughs> I, sure thing. And so <laughs> but, I I think, uh... um, but he's still a widely popular figure mm-hmm. uh, among you know, like he would certainly lo- like if it's cinema, I'd say then I would be like, yeah, I think Ducey would be a reasonable Republican to put up silly because, I mean, you're going up against cinema like you have to have somebody to challenge her with that moderate vote. And I think then you would get likewise, the progressives would hold their nose to vote for cinema. I think you'd get, you know, the Trump wing of the party to hold their nose and uh, vote for Ducey and just pray that if Ducey wins that he'll, you know, shift a little bit of his stances that uh, when he gets elected and isn't some like a McCain type, like oh, I'm going to block, you know, whoever the re- Republican president is. But I think, you know, Ducey Cinema would be an interesting matchup for sure. I know it's a name that I've seen floated around a lot, especially if it's Gallego, is Andy Biggs, the congressman. I think he's what he's he's a, he's a Phoenix area congressman, but I've heard that he could be. Somebody that I mean, some people pushed him for speaker against McCarthy, but that that doesn't seem likely. But to say Andy Biggs has enough of a name in the GOP that he could win, he certainly has a name. I just don't know if he would be electable statewide. I, I think a lot of the uh, Republican House Caucus is for for whatever reason they very they're very quick, much Trump. They very quickly Trumpy. shifted to that wing of the party, and so yeah, even I, Debbie Lesko, yeah, David Schweikert, exactly, uh, I mean, and Andy Biggs, and of course Paul Gosar, right. And so I think, um, you know, some of them more than others have, have, have very much adopted that uh, mm-hmm. brand of the party, and so I think, you know, I think it would just be hard for them to win statewide um, compared to someone like Ducey, who's mm-hmm. especially I, against Cinema. I think Cinema. Re- I mean, I mean, I think Cinema versus Biggs would probably favor Cinema. I know all the, you know, Electa Bro, you know, election analysts would say, oh, it's a likely D race if it's like a Biggs v Cinema. I don't think it would be that lopsided. I think that Biggs would certainly get the the, the base turnout. And if you know, th- there will be a presidential election at the same time. So I think that that's another factor that like like it hurt or helped McSally, right? Um. But that's all we have on Arizona. Thank you, Nick, for coming. Of course. A pleasure to have you. And uh, good luck with uh, your final year at Georgetown. Thank you very much. And, of course, good luck to Arizona. And make sure to vote. Make sure to elect our our strong Republican candidates up and down ballot. And we'll see what the future entails for the great state of Arizona, State 48. Indeed we will. Yes. And now it gives me great pleasure to welcome Alex to the podcast to talk about the great state of Nevada. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure to be on campus finally. Never actually spent a lot of time on Georgetown's campus, so it's, it's, it's nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And uh, how much does it differ from AU's campus? Oh, it's, it's so different. AU's campus is honestly kind of subpar. But Georgetown, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people. Um, a lot of energy, not, not, not as much, um, of that in, in Tenley town. So, well, yeah, you've caught us right at homecoming weekend. So it, it is a lot more uh, busy than normal, 
But just before we get started, uh, just introduce Alex. He's our first American Eagle on the podcast. So we're happy to have now completed three of the DC schools. So we've had GW, we've had some colonials on here already. And of course, fellow Georgetown Hoyas. And now we have American University represented. So Alex, thanks again. And uh, just for those who don't know you, just give a brief introduction, what we call our Georgetown intro. uh, And then we'll get right into it. So... Of course, my name is Alex. I'm a senior at American University. I'm in the School of Public Affairs. My major is political science with a focus in American government. Awesome. So let's let's get right into the state of Nevada, the state that is really on a lot of people's minds in this election cycle. It's historically been a very blue state, very Democratic leaning, with former Senator Harry Reid really putting a strong machine in place. They call it the Reid machine for a reason. Uh, constantly getting good turnout in Clark County, which is where Las Vegas is. However, Nevada in 2020 trended Republican, and Clark County even shifted Republican, meaning it voted more Republican than it did in 2016. Uh, and of course, Nevada statewide it was carried by the Democrats by the same margin in 2016 as 2020. So Hillary Clinton won by around two points. Joe Biden won by two points. Uh, does this mean a red Nevada is inevitable at some point? Do you think that it's just uh, something that's in the cards or will the Republicans still need to work extra hard to flip the state? You know, one thing I've learned from spending uh, about uh, four years in politics, I'm from New Jersey. I'm not from Nevada, but I can say pretty pretty uh, firmly that that's nothing is inevitable in politics. You know, it relies on a whole lot of factors. It relies on um, the operations of the parties in the state. But, you know, that's not to say that uh, the Republicans' prospects in the future are really looking pretty strong in Nevada. Um, and Clark County, obviously, as you said, is is home to Las Vegas. It's, it's you know, contains approximately 70% of the state's population. Um, so it's very important that, you know, even if a Republican nominee for any sort of office, uh, running statewide in Nevada, you know, they don't necessarily need to carry it, but they need to close the gap significantly. Um, which, you know, seems to be happening. We noticed, as you noted, um, Trump's margin, uh, in 2020, um, is, was nine, was nine and a half points. So it's, it's the closest it's been in Clark County since, 2004, which is when Bush Bush won the state in, in that year. That's the last Republican presidential candidate to win Nevada. Um, he lost he lost Clark County by five points. Um, what's also notable about Clark County is its demographics. It's got a pretty uh, sizable Hispanic population and not a very high level of college education, um, which is something that Republicans have really been taking advantage of. They've really improved their numbers among those two groups in in recent years. Um, And so, you know, that's a recipe for improvement. Um, Also, what's notable about Nevada is that even though Clark County is Democratic, everywhere outside of it is essentially strongly Republican. Really, out of the 17 counties in Nevada, only two tend to vote Democratic. One is Clark County, obviously. The other is Washoe County, although that's more of a swing county. Um, but it's definitely um, looking good. The last Republican to to lose Nevada outside of 
uh, Clark County was Lyndon Johnson in 1964. So it kind of tells you that that area is not changing. So as long as uh, Republicans keep up the improvements in Clark County, I think you're going to see a um, you're going to see a increasingly red state. Uh, and, you know, so it should be interesting to see what happens this year. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Bringing up the Hispanic population and the working class population, that that's certainly a group that uh, President Trump really appealed to, as we talk about in our last episode about Michigan and Wisconsin. So if you want to learn more about that, be sure to check that episode after listening to this one, if you haven't already. And that's certainly a key demographic that has swung to the right heavily in the last few election cycles. Now, add to that the Hispanic shift. And I've brought this up many episodes being from Texas. South Texas mm-hmm. is like the epitome that everybody looks to at the map to rep- to symbolize that rightward Hispanic shift. Because if you go on the New York Times map, look at the county shift, you see really like thick red arrows in South Texas that stands out on a map. Uh, and Clark County, it was a small red arrow, but it was still a red arrow, even though the national environment was more democratic. But why do you think that Hispanic and Latino population is flocking to the GOP. I mean, we saw Myra Flores won in Texas's 34th uh, district, that special election not too long ago. And uh, of course, President Trump won Zapata County in Texas, which hadn't gone blue for many, many, many decades. But why is this such a shift that's happening this year? Why are Hispanics really looking at the GOP and saying, you know what? This is this is my new party. I, they've been democratic for so long that now they're finally starting to to break that monolithic view that many democratic pundits, I'm sure, took for granted. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, I totally agree. Um, I think it's mainly more because of the Democrats' failure to capture the interests of Hispanic winners rather than necessarily Republicans' efforts themselves. Um, Democrats recently, at least you know, especially since Joe Biden took office, um, have emphasized outreach to more a, a more white collar, uh, college educated crowd um, that you know is usually established in you know in sub, sub suburban counties of major metropolitan areas. So think like Fairfield County, Connecticut, or Fairfax County, Virginia, um, which. Predominantly, those counties are are white, and you know they don't really have the same sort of interests as a lot of Hispanic voters do. Um, and Hispanics are generally more blue collar; um, they don't necessarily have that uh, college education that you find in those areas. Um, so, I, I think Hispanics are focused on issues that affect their daily lives. Um, and right now the number one issue is inflation, inflation, inflation. And in places like South Texas, even Nevada, it it also has to do with immigration and Arizona as well. Um, which Democrats are not currently on the right side of the issue, um, especially for those people. Um, but I will say that without Trump, however, I I think Republicans would still be likely to improve even more significantly. Um, noting um, that Republicans such as uh, George W. Bush, both in 2000 and 2004, he performed better among Hispanic voters than, than even Trump did. And even John McCain in 2008, who was just absolutely clobbered by Barack Obama, um, did perform similarly among Hispanics uh, um, comparably to uh, to Trump. Um, 
And so, I mean, that's not to deny that Republicans have absolutely improved in recent years compared to, you know, how, how Mitt Romney performed or even, you know, Trump in 2020 significantly improved on his 2016 numbers among Hispanics. Um, so, uh, but, you know, it's just we shouldn't use necessarily use Trump as a recipe for improvements in, in the community. And we shouldn't assume that this change is just a given and take it for advantage because, you know, things change quickly, you know, voting demographics and, you know, areas of support for certain parties change as well. So, you know, absolutely should not just say this is definitely what is going to happen. Yeah, I agree that the two issues, I think, dominating these areas are the economy, as Bill Clinton put it, it's the economy stupid. But let's look at the the two candidates. Well, top of the ticket candidates are running in Nevada this cycle. So that's uh, Adam Laxalt is the GOP Senate nominee, and Joe Lombardo is the gubernatorial nominee, both of which have the endorsement of President Trump. Uh, but do you think that these two candidates have what it takes to win? I absolutely think that they have what it takes to win. Um, I think Republicans this year in Nevada, uh, in particular, did a very good job of recruiting them. Um, Joe Lombardo, as you said, who's who's, who's running for governor, um, he um, was elected as sheriff of Clark County in 2018. It's a nonpartisan uh, uh, position, but nonetheless, he received 73% of the vote, which is notable very clearly he has a um, great degree of popularity um, and in the most democratic county in the most populated county in the state that is very important um, and the issues he's running on are, are, are also very practical he's brought up um, issues of um, immigration of course as we talked about the economy again um, things like affordable housing is another thing that 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 has been brought up um, and I think that, you know, he's got a very good shot um, as long as he manages to close the gap in Clark County. As we said, that's the big if. Um, Adam Laxalt um, also definitely has a very good chance of winning. Um, he's from Reno, which is from which is Washoe County up north. He's not from Las Vegas, but nonetheless, there's a lot of people that live up there, too. So he, he should definitely improve. Um, on previous margins in that area, which would definitely help. And he has also um, placed the economy as his number one issue. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I think um, Lombardo has a better chance of, of winning. I think the polling has indicated that Lombardo is, is doing slightly better than, than Loxelt. Um, but uh, I, I think, um, yeah, no, it, it should be, it's going to be a, tight race but you know it, it's you know I, I think we've got nevada is going to be our dark horse state this election and i think republicans are going to really outperform expectations yeah and to plug adam laxalt he is a double georgetown grad so hoya sacks to adam laxalt uh he i think graduated here with a bachelor's and he went to the georgetown law school so of course a uh, little private rooting uh, candidate that we should get behind <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he's going up against incumbent Catherine Cortez Masto, the senator. Uh, and that's that's been a race that I know a lot of Democrats are dooming on. They, they're they very uh, low on their chances of keeping the Nevada Senate race. And I think that goes to show a lot of people have questioned the quality of GOP candidates. But I think one that you can't dispute is Nevada. I think that Adam Laxalt is the strongest candidate we could put forward. 
he has the backing of Governor DeSantis. I think they were roommates uh, at some point, I, I believe, when they were in the military together. And so I think that that shows that the party is unified behind Laxalt. I think there, it wasn't a tough primary race for Laxalt. Uh, and Lombardo had a little bit more of a competitive primary. But nonetheless, I think he's got the party behind him. And I think that, that they're both going to ride uh, the red wave uh, to victory. Sure, if they should not take any votes for granted. The polling has been looking very good for them. I know a latest poll came out that uh, Lombardo was up by three points, Laxalt up by two, uh, which is, considering other polling, I think very good for Republicans. Absolutely. As polling tends to skew towards the Democrats a little bit, if not a lot. But having Republicans up certainly will only give them more confidence. I think the, the Nevada State GOP more confidence. But let's look a little bit further down ballot at the federal House races. So we saw redistricting Nevada. The Democratic Party thought they would be smart and crack that one Las Vegas district with current Congresswoman Dina Titus, uh, which is a very safe blue seat. I believe if the map was the same this cycle, you would see a 3-1 split in favor of the Republicans. However, they cracked that seat to basically make three Biden seats and one Trump seat uh, in the hopes of keeping three blue seats. Do you think that will blow up in their face? But I mean, they're all light blue seats. So it was all, I think, Biden plus eight in two of them and then Biden plus six in the third district. Do you think that will be a backfire and you could see a 4-0 Republican sweep? Well, they definitely took a risk. Uh, and in a year that does not look like uh, is going to be really that favorable for uh, Democrats, it's, you know, it, it's definitely a possibility um, as you said, you know, all three of the districts voted for Biden by less than 10 points. They're all single digit margins. Um, and all three candidates, uh, all three Republican candidates in those districts are running on, on salient issues. Um, uh, Mark Robeson, who's running against Dina Titus has put up pretty strong fundraising numbers. Um, that's going to be a, one of the toughest races, I think, because Dina mm -hmm. Titus is a you know, she's been there for a decent amount of time um, and you know, she's got some good name recognition. Um, the third and fourth districts, I think, are going to be the ones to really watch. Um, and especially um, District 3, which is Southern Clark County based, um, is is the closest, is going to be the closest out of all of them. Um, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, if Republicans running in statewide offices like Luxalt and um, Lombardo perform well, I think you're going to see that, you know, at least two out of three and the third one be very, very close um, follow behind. So it a lot of it depends on 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 how the uh, top of the ballot performs, too. So. And turnout. So, yeah. yeah, that's certainly something to watch as the GOP push to, to take back the House. But by putting up further left candidates... Are the Democrats accelerating a Republican shift in the state? Because I think that, and, and I cite the Texas 28 primary, so that's with incumbent Henry Cuellar, who's seen by many as a more conservative Democrat. I would contest that a little bit, but on on some issues, he is more conservative and willing to buck the trend of his party. Immigration's a good example of that. And he had a very progressive challenger in Jessica Cisneros. She was endorsed by Bernie Sanders, AOC, you know, the squad, you name it. She lost in a runoff. That was a very tight primary. And I think that that kind of signals that Latinos aren't willing to vote for 
far-left Democrats. They'll vote for establishment Democrats like Harry Reid, um, who has since, you know, passed on. But I, I'm not so con- I'm not convinced that they'll vote for hard-left candidates unless they're in, you know, like L.A. or, or like very blue parts of like California or New York. Would you agree with that? Do you think that further left Democrats will just help Republicans? It's it's honestly, it's very hard to say. I mean, it's I wouldn't necessarily say it's a good reflection of what's going on in the national level for the Democratic Party, um, because, as I said earlier, the Democratic Party has become the party of wealthy suburbanites that honestly don't demonstrate a real appetite for progressive policy. Um, but I, of course, there. No, that's not to say that there is a faction within the Democratic Party that is definitely very loud um, on uh, progressive policy. But the the people who control the party right now are are not what I would call progressives. Um, so, you know, I would slightly push back on that. But uh, I will say what's notable specifically about Nevada is that um, it's a state that doesn't that's completely controlled by Democrats, but at the same time, you know, it's not, it doesn't demonstrate the same qualities of, of places that, that have those wealthy and uber well-educated voters. Um, so I, I think that's why there's an indic there, there's an, somewhat of an appetite for um, a sort of populist progressive movement. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so, so my answer to your question is I, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, I would, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that the DSA's, you know, pretty much take over the party is necessarily going to accelerate the Republican shift in the party. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, the fact that there is very clear disorganization within the party, as you said, the Harry Reid machine is, is basically, you know, they're, they're in trouble. Um, that I think that the headbutting is definitely going to it's caused disarray, and I think Democrats are really going to suffer from that. Um, so, so yeah, that's my take. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, yeah, it'll be an interesting thing to play out. And I would say it's interesting you bring up like the progressive left being more populist left because a lot of people talk about you know the Republican the surge of a more like populist new right. Um, and I've you know. Dove, uh, dove into that wing of the party extensively myself, and I think that that's, you know, in a way, the kind of politics that Nevada Republicans are trying to emulate. I mean, yeah. President Trump's influence—I would say he's like the the leader of the populist right, you could say—and um, bringing ushering this new philosophy and new policy mentality in the Republican Party, saying, you know what, we are willing to use government power to get our agenda through. We are willing to, you know, stand up for Social Security in some elements and not play the whole, you know, cut taxes. And that's the only thing the GOP is talking about. You're yeah. seeing social issues, I think, come into the, to the to conversation on the GOP yeah. side. And I think the same reasoning for why the, the democratic socialists have become a successful um, wing of the party in Nevada is similar to why Republicans are generally starting to form a lot better in Nevada. It's, it's that, populism that you know i think has some appeal there yeah it'd be interesting to see if you know democrat uh the nevada becomes like a populist state where all the candidates you know it's a populist democrat versus a populist republican 
should be very only only time will tell and how the like i could see a scenario where let's see in a, in a thought experiment let's say america breaks into four parties so the democrats split into you know the 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 progressive left the the more moderate left it's like the neoliberal and then the progressive parties on the right wing you see like the republican establishment and like a trump maga party i can very well see a maga and a progressive party forming a coalition on certain issues if we ever if, get there yes if we ever yeah. get there on some you know fiscal fiscal policy issues i mean that would be an interesting dynamic i think broadly you would see the the left wing coalesce have a coalition and the right wing have a coalition but you know we've seen crazier things i mean look at israel's parliament and they constantly have elections and parties sometimes switching sides so who who's, all the time all so the time in israel. who 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 wouldn't say that that could happen in in the the us but of course we don't have that system it's a two party system and until then we got to work with what we got but one last uh question i had for you was talking about the impact of internal migration in the united states from a lot of blue states like california that's that's the one that i would highlight considering nevada's geographic proximity yep. uh what what impact that migration will have on the politics of nevada uh we've certainly seen a lot of it being talked about with uh, with texas and the growth of big metro areas like dallas uh fort worth area the austin area talked about it in the phoenix area in arizona will there be a similar thing in nevada will we see Californians move to Nevada and swing their politics back to the left or is it conservative Californians who are heading to Nevada or neither like what 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 is your take on that well i think nevada is already a, a place where people are going from california you know it's not just arizona or texas um and uh, i it hasn't had a negative impact so far uh, i mean is is Nevada overwhelmingly democratic and has that changed no it's it's not um and and even party registrations in Nevada party registration statistics in Nevada show that the Republicans have actually co- closed the gap in the last few years um of course you know a lot of uh, people are registering as independents but they're not registering as democrats um so That's key distinction yep exactly um and you know I think a lot of people wonder why, why, why do people, you know, you would think California, wow, if they're coming out of there, they're definitely going to start voting for Democrats again. Well, you know, what's the reason they're moving out of California? It's because, you know, Democrats in the state have done a terrible job of managing, managing their state government, um, an absurdly a high income tax, um, you know, homeless rampant homelessness and, and a huge affordability crisis that Governor Newsom has failed to address. Um, failing and, energy. Yep, exactly. Um, so if anything, Republicans are just going to gain from that. Um, and I, I don't, the county shifted heavy to the right yeah. in 2022. Exactly. So I don't, I don't see that being negative. In fact, I think if I was a Republican in Nevada, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe I want more people moving in from California. <laughs> so yeah, like I saw a CNN exit poll. For the Texas, not to make too much about Texas, I know this isn't a Texas episode, but uh, it'd be interesting to see if this happens in Nevada. I hope that CNN does a similar question in Arizona and Nevada and other states. But they did an exit poll for the the, the Cruz O'Rourke Senate race, and it showed that you know, ancestral Texans voted for O'Rourke, and it was the Californians who saved Cruz from 
and saved, I would say, Texas from having a, a, an abysmal senator <laughs> in uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke. Uh, <laughs> you know, as a Hispanic, we don't claim him. <laughs> but uh, I, I think, you know, that, 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 that tells a lot. I think a lot of conservatives are paranoid. Like we see a lot of merchandise in Texas. So it's like, don't California my Texas. And, you know, see the jokes about all the billboards on the highways in Texas when you're moving in that say, you know, don't vote for the policies you fled from, vote Republican. Exactly. You know, and that's, you know, that's true. Like, don't vote for the policies you're, you're leaving. So if you're leaving New York for Florida is another example. Don't vote for, don't bring New York Democrat mentality to Florida. Well, and Florida's another but, example. You know, it's another state that's gotten more Republican. More Republican. So, and that's partially because of outward migration. Exactly. So I think Arizona is, I think, maybe a, a, a unicorn in this example. Or I think. Exception. Yep. Yeah, in the sense that I think California, Californian migrants are making it bluer. Texas, I think it's because, you know, Austin is just growing as a city. You're getting more tech people and more jobs there, uh, which, you know, inherently lean left. I mean, Tesla is there now. We're seeing the unfortunate decline of the oil industry in Texas because of, you know, the Biden administration's policies and just the broader you know, push and, and green energy lobby. So that's pushing out some, you know, blue collar jobs, pushing out more, you know, conservative leaning, uh, private sector, uh, le- industry leaders to, to kind of balance out. I wouldn't worry. I think you're going to be okay. I think Texas is going to, is going to stay red. So I hope know. so too. I hope so too. But Nevada, I mean, I am hoping Nevada kind of becomes the, like an, an extension of, of Texas in the sense of, you know, has a high Hispanic population and it's like, you know, we're going to stand up for, you know, faith, family, freedom. And the Democrats are, as you said, moving towards a white collar, you know, highly educated, highly high income, high, you know, richer class. That's why the Northeast is so blue, right? It's the New England coastal elites is, you know, the right likes to say. And that's, that's very apparent in Nevada could be the next domino to fall. That isn't an elitist state by any means. Well, the town I'm from voted for Obama in 2012 by 11 points. It's a, it's a, it's a very classic Northeastern, yeah. you know, a lot of very well-educated people. And, you know, it ended up voting for Joe Biden in 2020 by 48 points. So there you go. Went from 55% to 73% for the Democrat in 10, in less than 10 years. So there you go. I think that that just proves how both parties are, they got to move. They got, they got to shift their, 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 their bases. And I know a lot of people said, oh, you know, the, the map for Republicans, I know when Trump was running, they said, oh, there'll come a time in which the GOP can never win a federal election ever. That the map is just every state's moving blue. Uh, no state's really moving red other than the states are already voting red. And that eventually Democrats will just have a monopoly on, on, the, on the White House. Well, people need to get out of their bubbles. And, and I think we realize. saw that, you know, 2016, Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania all went red. Yep. Uh, Nevada is now incredibly close. Uh, sure, that I think they have some merit saying you know the trends in Arizona and Georgia were accelerated by you know Trump's agenda and then the shifts in the GOP away from a more McCain-style Republican Party, Country Club Republican Party. And I will note, you know, yeah. on this line, you know, Arizona is to a degree it is different than Nevada. It had the, again, yeah, it's not as working more, class yep, as Nevada. Maricopa County has a lot more of a concentration of of those types of voters, um, especially in places like Scottsdale and um, Mesa, um, and you know that that's definitely you know 
we have to know that that's definitely part of the reason why it's been going the other way. One major um, thing that I will point out in Nevada that's a, that's different from a state like Florida or Arizona is that Democrats still control the legislature. So, that's you know, yeah, that's depending on copy. how Republicans perform in in the state Senate and in, in their um, state House of Representatives um, will determine um, the course of um, you know Lombardo's. Um, you know, gubernatorial term if he gets there. I'm not going to speak too soon. So, but it'll be very interesting to see. In Nevada, I think it's going to be harder to win the state legislature. But even then, I think that Lombardo has the ability to reach across the island, will get stuff Mm -hmm. done, considering he won Clark County by 70 plus percent of the vote. He's run a very, you know, sensible campaign. So, yeah, I, I don't think that that will be a huge problem for him. Maybe he can't uh do a lot of the more maybe socially conservative things as, as like a Carrie Lake could do in Arizona or as DeSantis is doing in Florida. Yeah. But I think he could still make inroads and, and have strong Republican leadership in the state. But who knows? We may be seeing an upset in that front. It's because it, it's all going to come down to turnout. But Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. That's all the time we have. Um and yeah, hope to see you around soon and, and do other things as we continue to push forward our movement and our agenda as we uh, hope to ride a red wave this year and beyond. So yeah, thank you so much. And to all you listening out there, please be sure to rate us five stars on whatever podcast streaming platform you're listening to us right now. It goes a long way. You may not look it, but it sure does and it helps us out. And uh, we do really appreciate it. Be sure to follow the Georgetown Republicans on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. On Instagram, you'll find us at Georgetown Republicans. And then on Facebook and Twitter, you'll find us at Georgetown CR. So thank you all for listening, and we hope to see you again for our next episode.